Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. It's Lenny Murphy back with another edition of the Green Book Podcast. And today I am joined by a dear friend, someone I've known for a long time and think an awful lot of, Lisa Wilding Brown, newly minted or somewhat newly minted CEO of Innovate MR. Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Lenny. It's great to, to see you again. It just seems like a couple months ago we were on a webinar, but I know it's going to be longer than that. Yeah, yeah, time flies. It, does, it all kind of blurs together nowadays. Uh, so, but yeah, with uh, with Logic Group, and we did that panel conversation, yeah. which I'm sure we'll cover similar topics this time. But yeah, always a always a pleasure to have a chance to chat with you. So, for the audience who may not know you, and although I can't imagine anybody in our audience not knowing who you are because you're such a presence in the industry, why don't you give a little bit about your background? in recent history. And we'll go. From yeah. There. Yeah. Sounds great. So I've been in the industry for just about 20 years, started my career off at Harris Interactive, where I worked in the research operations team, working on all sorts of projects, started off as a project manager, running online research. It was really one of the, the first groups to be formed to be focused exclusively on online as a methodology. So at that point in time, it was really the, the new kid on the block. And uh, we were really helping our clients shepherd those offline projects to the online world and doing all the research on research that's required to support that modality change. And it was a really great time to start in the industry. And then from there, I worked on the, the panel team, worked really closely with the survey methodology team as well, and got to help build the Harris Poll, which was a really great experience, and then moved on to USAMP in 2009. And it was an interesting transition for me, Lenny, because I had gone from this publicly traded large international company to then a tech startup out of Los Angeles. And I often joke with Matt Dusig that I had to be a little deprogrammed because, you know, working in a startup is so, so different. It's so divergent from working in a large established business like Harris Interactive. So that was a, a really great experience. I was there for about five years. And then we exited out of USAMP to then start Innovate, where I am all these years later. And again, that was another startup experience, although right now I would qualify us more as a scale-up. We're really in growth mode. We have about 160 employees growing really, really nicely uh, over the years. And we have an office in Calabasas, California, presence in Europe, and then, of course, two offices in India, one in, in Gurgaon and another in Ahmedabad, where our engineering team sits. So it's it's been a, a wonderful career. I kind of fell into insights like so many people that I've met along the way. I actually went to school for, for journalism. And it's interesting because I think there's actually a lot of parallels to the news world and journalism and, and this insatiable appetite for getting questions answered. I'm a very, very curious person. You ask my family, I'm always asking questions of people and, and really want to understand what makes people tick. So didn't intend to get into insights, but I'm so thrilled and so blessed to, to be in this industry. It's a fantastic industry, very cutting edge, and it has just some incredible people, wonderful human beings, I think, that 
live and work in this space. In terms of recent news, it was announced at the end of January that Innovate has taken on investment from CIBC Partners, which is a private equity company based in Chicago, one of the oldest private equity companies in the country. In fact, they've been in business for almost 50 years. So it's interesting because I know, Lenny, you have your finger on the pulse on all things investment and acquisition news and, and merger news. And, you know, when we decided to to look for investment after being fiercely independent for the last eight years, what a process that is, you know, and I had been involved in, in raising funding at our last company, but this was very different as sort of CEO and, and head of the helm. It, it was a really interesting experience meeting with all these different private equity companies. And we landed on what we think are just incredible partners over at CIBC. We're really, really happy and, and really thrilled and excited for what's to come in the future. Well, oh, that's awesome. And sometimes I regret that we don't do this with video because the, the audience can't see me vigorously nodding my head. <laughs> Let's talk about the evolution between USAMP and Innovate MR. You know, USAMP was one of, as online research was was maturing and assuming its role as the dominant mode within the industry. USAMP was a, uh, one of those players who helped make that happen, in particular in programmatic. And I mean, programmatic from programmatic delivery. I mean, a lot of the early automation companies Gut Check and Zappy and all of those companies, if I recall correctly, they were USAMP customers initially because you were the only ones who could deliver at scale, uh, scale and speed that they were aiming for from a data collection perspective. So after the exit of USAMP and we thought about Innovate MR, what, what was the difference? What did you learn say, all right, here's where we have defined this category to an extent. We saw the future. We, we helped implement this model of programmatic delivery. What was the differentiator going into Innovate that you wanted to do differently or better than you had done at USAMP? I think, you know, there were some big themes. You know, when we started at USAMP, and I was pretty early on there, the company was probably about a year old by the time I joined and had already raised its first round of funding, small, small series of funding, but, you know, still funding dependent early on. And then we raised some more funding and we just went from zero to probably 270 employees in less than five years. It was very fast paced, incredible experience. I got to meet so many amazing people. And I think for me, that was really where my own entrepreneurial outlook and spirit really was born because I was surrounded by these incredibly innovative thought leaders in the space, people that were really challenging the status quo and saying, just because we've done something a certain way for years and years doesn't necessarily mean that we need to continue down that path. So I think, you know, Matt Dusig and Greg Lavin and, and George Lawrence and others that I worked with at USAMP were really so incredible in helping to not only open my eyes, but really open the industry's eyes on all the immense opportunity that's afforded to companies like, like a USAMP. I would say, you know, we did a lot of things differently here at Innovate than we did there. You know, I think Matt and Greg, certainly it wasn't their first rodeo, but at the scale we were at, it certainly was. And we were growing really, really rapidly. And I look back now, Lenny, and I think we kind of got distracted. I call it the, the shiny nickel syndrome. You know, when you have the investment dollars, you can build anything you want. And you feel like a kid in a candy shop, quite honestly. But just because you can build it doesn't mean you should. And there's something to be said about staying really focused 
and staying in your lane. That was something that we constantly reminded ourselves of as we were starting to get Innovate off the ground was let's stay in our lane. Let's stay really, really focused, do what we do best. And that's delivering sample and building tools to help facilitate that and not get distracted by all the potential opportunity in, in sort of parallel channels or different verticals, because I think that can spread you too thin and really slow down your your focus and your success, your ultimate success. So that was, I think, a big difference between the two companies. And I would say, you know, the other piece is that given the experience at USAMP, we really wanted to be independent and self-funded. So the company up until recently was entirely bootstrapped by friends and family that were helping to get us our start. And so I think those are probably the two biggest differences if you were to compare the two companies. I think there's still a lot of similarities in terms of really leveraging technology to be as efficient and expeditious as possible. I mean, it's really all about speed. And what's interesting as the online space has matured, so has cyber fraud. So has the whole ecosystem of quality and the implications that exist around quality. And so we really wanted to focus on that. We felt like we had the experience, good, bad, and ugly. We've run into it, you know, ourselves. When you're sourcing sample online and you offer an incentive to participate, you're going to become a target. And through those experiences and a lot of the research on research and thought leadership that we've done through the years, it really helped to inform our strategy of being as proactive as we possibly can be. And so, you know, that's really been our, our mission since starting the business about eight years ago. So I'm gonna, we're going to circle back around to the quality issue, but I, I want to dig in a little bit more because you, you made a comment about staying in our lane. And what occurred to me is that, that the lane has broadened. So again, thinking back at USAM, if I recall correctly, uh, you would launch a data collection mm-hmm. platform, the integrated data collection platform, and I think it was mobile-centric. But you were one of the first companies that was combining sample and data collection into one solution and bringing that to market and selling that to everybody, both you know brands and, and other suppliers. And Innovate has recently done a similar thing, right? You, you mm-hmm. went back and said, okay, this is a logical thing to do. And it is. We see most of the, the competitors in the space doing similar things, right? They're, they're trying to own more of the value chain to streamline the process from from data to data collection to insight generation. And I would say that's kind of the definition of the lane now, right? That it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it's that value chain, not just sample provisioning. Is that how you see the world? Is that a, a pretty Yes, accurate? I think that I think that's a great summary. You know, if I think back to the early days of USAMP, I almost feel like we peaked too soon. <laughs> You know, we were one of the first to bring out DIY technology. And I remember what the first day I got to USAMP, and it's funny, it was actually the first day I'd actually met Dusig in person. My mother thought I was crazy flying all the way out to California with just a, you know, phone conversations. This was even before video conferencing. So we hadn't even seen each other like you and I are staring at each other right now. But when I got there in the office and got settled in, he he was very excited to welcome me to the team. And we immediately went into some wireframes that he was developing with the technology team that we had on staff. And Sample Market was presented to me as the DIY tool that would become the future. And as a client, because I I was a client of Matt's, 
when I was back at Harris, we used to buy sample from his previous company, which was called Gozing. It started in the late 90s and then they sold to Greenfield Online, I believe in 2005. It was interesting to sort of have a position of now a seller of sample, but I had that client context of being a buyer of sample. And, you know, it's it's really, it's interesting to me because when he started presenting these wireframes, this idea that clients would log in without any intervention from our team, they would pull sample directly from our panel and deploy it to their surveys, which we wouldn't really vet or or build for them. I thought he was absolutely crazy, Lenny. I thought this guy was on a different planet. I just couldn't couldn't get my mind around it because it was just such an innovative idea and I didn't feel like the market was quite ready for it. And it was just such a big departure from the world that I kind of cut my teeth in at Harris. But we we plugged forward and I think really helped to build that model for for others in the industry to to look to. And then we did it again with with mobile. You know, we could see the tides were turning. We could see that a lot of the desktop traffic was now going to mobile. And at the same time, surveys were not designed for mobile whatsoever. At that point in time, the programming tools that were being used weren't optimized to render for mobile devices. And we got on our soapbox and started talking about the importance of mobile, mobile adoption, and how we we can't fight that. We have to meet respondents where they are. And if they're coming to us through their mobile devices, we better be ready for it. And, you know, every year I'd get up on stage at different conferences and I would say, this is the year of mobile. This is the year of mobile. And then I would look at survey inventory coming through the shop and I would say, gosh, this doesn't feel like the year of mobile. (laughs) These surveys are still 25 plus minutes, tons of grids, which I get are awesome from a computational standpoint, but they're a nightmare for participants. So, I can wear both hats and understand that the tensions and the friction that just the ecosystem in itself creates. And sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Let's be honest with ourselves. So, you know, I do think we peaked a little too soon and we had a lot of different products at USAMP. We had hundreds of of panels that we built for clients and partners. And we had a mobile app that we definitely invested a great deal into and then we had the survey building software that we developed. And it just got to a point, I think, where we spread ourselves too thin. And so that really helped to inform our strategy here at Innovate. And so we started with, with doing what we do best, which is building a consumer panel and a B2B panel, just two panels, not hundreds. So that instantly made my life a lot easier as we started to really develop our operations model and hire staff and and recruit panelists and really create all the linkages from a programmatic standpoint that are required. And then once we really, I think, perfected that model, we said, okay, let's broaden the view again, but let's still stay in our lane and let's lean on that tech pedigree that we enjoy as thought leaders and and veterans in the space and let's build out the vision suite. And so when the vision suite first started back in 2018, we were focused, again, exclusively on sample. So it was a sample DIY platform, first and foremost. Again, get that perfected, build that out internationally, add multiple languages, continue to recruit more panel to build up feasibility, acquire new clients, get that all nicely baked. And then we moved on to the next generation of that product, which is now the full suite, which includes all of our fraud mitigation and quality tools, as well as survey programming capabilities, dashboarding and reporting, and of course, 
direct access to our samples. So the Vision Suite is really an end-to-end solution, but it took years and years of thoughtful planning and timing to get it right. And I think we're at a place now, Lenny, where the market is really ready for tools like this in a way that in 09, they were simply were not. For now, it, it really feels like there's so many trends around democratization of data and disintermediation that I think we're at a place where clients are really open to, to leveraging tools like this as just one tool within their toolkit. I don't want to suggest that DIY is for everyone or for every use case. It is not. And I think that's an important point to make. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, we'll, we'll be releasing the latest grit report. We were hoping this week, it'll actually probably be next week now, but in those trends are clear. Uh, and as you said, the, you know, DIY has found its place and there's still a long tail of growth there, but so is service and it will continue to be full service will continue to, to thrive and do well. I think I saw last week Ipsos's latest results, right? Which were, were fairly extraordinary for a company like that of their maturity and of that size. And it was interesting that they have a middle of the road approach, right? They have a, an automation solution and they also have the full service solution. So I suspect if we dug in, we'd see that a lot of that growth was coming from leveraging both those things. Anyway, it's all of the topic. So uh, get all that, but now you take a money, right? And when you take money, it's to drive growth. And that growth comes from acquisition, product expansion, or client expansion. Well, and usually all three of those things. So what are you thinking? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anything you can... Give us a sense of what that roadmap may look like in a yeah. broad way. Yeah. Well, I have to say, you know, the process of being in Shark Tank, which is really what it felt like. And I've said this on other recent podcasts that I've sat in on, you know, it's it's an intimidating experience when you're going into that process and you're the one that's tasked with sharing the story of of the business that you love and and are so intimately involved in. It's like my third child, to be honest. I have two boys and then I have Innovate. <laughs> Those are my kids. You know, and as you navigate that experience of meeting firm after firm after firm, you really come to the conclusion that getting the right partner is so key, Lenny. And I have to say, I've talked with a lot of different people in the industry, different colleagues, even looking back at my own experience at USAMP. And if you don't have the right partner, it can just be a catastrophic situation and a, a very unsettling situation for the business, for the clients who rely on that business. And so we were very, very thoughtful, very, very thoughtful and careful about the right partner for us. And I really, really feel that we have that with CIVC partners. They're very experienced. Their portfolio is very diversified, great track record of success, but above all else, like really nice human beings, tons of acumen, super thoughtful, they seem to do more listening than talking, which is the way it should be. Um, they really want to learn our business and help inform and, and strengthen our growth strategy. And so I'm really, really happy. And I think that the first piece of any good future is making sure you have the right partners. And so I can tick that box confidently. In terms of where we're going, we're going to continue to focus on quality. I know we're going to cover it at some point during the podcast, but for me, it's it's been such a passion of mine. I think it's a, a real challenge for the industry. It's only getting more problematic and difficult as the online space continues to mature and cyber fraudsters get more and more sophisticated and continue to change their tactics day in and day out. But we'll continue to fight the good fight. And it really is about putting in lots of different layers that 
aren't just totally settled on technology. Technology is fantastic and has so much merit, but there's a lot of great methodological solutions that you can employ throughout that workflow of a project that are really important and I think undervalued. And so we're going to continue to to hopefully be the thought leader people know us as, getting up on stage, sharing what we've learned, sharing what we're ascertaining from all the research on research and the different partnerships that we've developed through the years. We want to really have an open and transparent dialogue because if you can't talk about a problem, how are you expected to make things better? You have to be open and transparent. So that's super important and something we're really, really committed to. But in terms of the future, it's really business as usual. You know, what I love about CIVC is they love our business as it is. And I haven't experienced that when I've worked with folks in the investment world. They all they always seem to want to change you in a really, really dramatic way. And that can be dangerous and very high risk. But they love sample. They love panel as much as I do. They love our managed services model. To your point, when you see companies like Ipsos having great success, it's a great proof point for the industry that full-service, very robust projects are still being conducted day in and day out, and they need the right recipe, the right support system to to facilitate that process. And so continuing to invest in our team and grow our team to really help support our existing clients and new clients to come is, is something that's really important. I think we have just an awesome culture here, and it's important that we maintain that culture because I've worked at other businesses where I felt like the culture was degrading or was very siloed in terms of communication and support systems. And so I really love that everyone here is so supportive of one another. We're really invested in each other's success. And that's that's very important to me and something I'm very fiercely, fiercely protective of. And then in terms of kind of growth strategy, outside of you know continuing to grow managed services, of course, we're going to be very focused on the vision suite you know, making that even more powerful than it is today, layering in more quality tools, expanding our reporting and dashboarding capabilities. And, you know, you had touched on something at the start of your question was around acquisitions. We're, we're actively looking at different companies to help strengthen and complement what we offer to the market today. And we're wasting no time. So if, if anyone out there listening thinks you might be a good match for Innovate, do reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation. Oh, there we go. There's the plug. Okay, well, so let, let's talk about the sample quality issue. Let me let me frame this up a little bit. It, it occurred to me earlier, for those who don't know the ins and outs of the industry, to be bordered on crude, you know, money talks and bullshit walks, right? And the largest spenders in this industry across the board are the sample companies. They drive, they drive Green Book, they drive Insight Association, they drive SMR. All the associations, they simply do. It's the way that it is. It is the, the economics of the industry, which creates some tensions sometimes. And it's not a malicious thing, but there's almost a, a reflective, automatic, don't bite the hand that feeds you mentality that can come in. It just is. And I, again, that's human nature. There's nothing underhanded about that. It's just the way that it is. So this has been a topic that's been hard. It's been hard to talk about. It's been hard to broach. While those of us that have been here for a long time have known there was going to come a time when it could not be brushed under the rug. And here's, let me tell you my analysis. You tell me if you agree. I think we got by with the sample issues because we didn't have a supply problem overall. You could just throw enough sample at it to overwhelm and make up for the quality issues. 
that's changed. There's not enough good sample to cover up the bad sample in the ecosystem. And that is not a reflection of any of the supplier community. I want to be 100% clear. I'm not trying to bite the hand that feeds us either. (laughs) I get it. There is a systemic flaw that we've tried to address over the years. Everybody's tried. No, if and buts about it, everybody spent a lot of money on you know digital fingerprinting and and you know all of those things, you know. But we finally reached a challenge that is forcing us now as an industry to step back and say, first, we need to understand what is impacting our supply problem. And I think that's an issue of engagement. I think it's one of the value proposition that we offer to respondents and our relationship with respondents. And as you've mentioned, if there's money involved, there's going to be fraud, right? There's fraudsters out there. So we all know it. And, you know, there's countries famous for it, you know, where all this stuff flows from. It's a big chunk of their economy is, and it's even worse in the advertising world without fraud. So we have these two incredibly significant issues that have just come home to roost now as an industry that we must get our hands around to deal with supply and to deal with the fraud components. And as you said, as soon as we plug one hole, they're going to figure out another way around it. So there is no no one solution. You know, everybody knows I'm a big fan of blockchain and I've got Veriglyph, my other company. And, you know, it's not bulletproof. Blockchain can be frauded too. You know, it's, it's harder, but it can be done. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of my macro view of the fundamental dynamics. First, do you agree? And are there pieces you would add to that? And then we'll get into solutions. I mean, you're definitely singing my song, Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> you are singing my song. I mean, I've been very active throughout the years at different conferences talking about both of those topics. Participant engagement. I've done a lot of work with the Global Research Business Network, Andrew Cannon and his team there at GRBN. They put a handbook together. We helped to facilitate some of that research on research. Pro bono, of course, because we felt very strongly that something had to be done, that we were headed towards this like tipping point or even breaking point around a disregard for what participants are experiencing day in and day out in the survey ecosystem. It's crazy. You know, in the early 2000s, we could get away with it because there wasn't as much competition online. This was before social media. I mean, believe it or not, there was a life before social media and I lived it. And it was way easier to procure traffic online and convert it. And we got much higher CPIs back in those early days for fairly high incidence participants. So those were like the golden years, the good old days. But as anything matures, things become more and more sophisticated. And I think with the advent of programmatic sampling in call it 2010, 2011, that's really where the shift started to occur. Because up until that point, suppliers and publishers who were feeding those suppliers just sort of threw traffic at different panels, at different supply sources, and took a lot on the chin, to be honest, right? They have to invest a lot of online traffic, and let's call it that for the moment, to surveys. And that traffic, that traffic source is having a really poor experience. Most projects are converting far below 10%. So that means nine out of 10 times 
you're having a disqualifying experience. Would you do anything, Lenny, if you failed at it nine out of 10 times? Probably not. So then you have this issue of attrition, right? There's this constant tension and struggle between enough supply to meet that demand. And then within that, you are having this sort of really unsavory experience where participants are being thrown into routers that send them on this vicious circle, last 20 plus minutes where they just continue to disqualify for surveys. Then they get into the surveys themselves and they might participate in a 10 minute long screener only to be told they don't qualify. Then if they do qualify, which is, of course, a small minority of the sample, they have a pretty negative, you know, arduous experience that can last anywhere between 20 and 25 plus minutes. And then after all of that, they're not typically getting rewarded very much. Rinse and repeat. I mean, that in itself is a really broken model. And the economics of procuring sample can be very, very challenging, right? We have to make our margin, too. And you live in this programmatic space where for the first time, suppliers, publishers, okay, the folks very, very far upstream who feed different panel companies and sample companies with online traffic, whether it be into a panel or into an algorithm that then routes people to different survey inventory, whatever the methodology is, because there are are many different options in that realm. But for the first point, I think those folks that sit in that ecosystem said, you know what, we're going to leverage programmatic solutions that are going to make decisions on the fly. And if your survey smells bad, you're not going to get our traffic. We're going to send our traffic elsewhere to a much higher converting opportunity where our EPC or earnings per click is much higher. And it was sort of like the supply community took their power back. And some clients haven't liked that. Because for a long time, they would just have to get on the phone and say, hey, I know this study is not converting as high as we thought or incidence has dropped or it's out of scope, but can you do me a, a favor and send me the traffic to fill my end size target? And it would happen. So with less human intervention and more programmatic intervention, some of those relationships, I think, haven't blossomed in the same way or yielded the same results. And bad survey design poor participant experience has really been highlighted because those surveys are not getting the attention that they did historically. So there's just a lot of different layers to the dynamic that you just described, Lenny. But I think for me, participant experience has a long, long way to go because you know what? It's 2022. There's a lot of competition of other fun things to do online other than take a survey. And as an industry, I think we've treated people in a very transactional way. You give me your data, I'll give you a meager incentive and off you go. It isn't really like a relationship, the relationship that it should be. And then at the same time, you have the fraudsters who've been very much operating in the ad tech space for a long, long time, shining a light on our industry and saying, this is an industry that has the scale, the high volume of opportunities, often very high paying opportunities as a case for B2B sample requests that we see. And all of that combined has just made us a really an attractive target for fraudsters. And cyber fraud is just one permutation of quality issues that our industry faces, right? In the middle, you have folks that are very overzealous, very top two box when they shouldn't be. And then on the other end, you have just natural duplication because there's a lot of competition for participants. And we're all fishing from 
you know, a lot of the same places where that model works. You know, there's some some channels out there, some specialty sites that just they just don't want to play in this space, despite the potential access to insights for themselves. It's just a poor user experience. So it narrows the options that suppliers have to actually go out and acquire traffic. So, so many layers, so much to unpack there. But I do think we're at a tipping point, Lenny, where we need to have open dialogue about this. We need to have full commitment across the supply chain, not just those that participate in acquiring sample for their clients, but the clients need to be committed to it as well. They need to understand that the design of their surveys can contribute to bad behaviors. They need to understand that it's a challenge getting anyone to do anything online in 2022. So the economics need to work from a CPI perspective. The design of the survey needs to be optimized for mobile. And I always recommend to people, take your own survey. Take it first before you share it out to the world. What kind of experience are you having? Where is there opportunity to streamline and really put the participant first? You know, kind of eat our own dog food. It's important. But I think it starts with being open and, and communicative. And so I'm actually speaking on this week after next at the MRS Impact Show. I'm doing a presentation on cyber fraud. So it's something I've been very passionate about. I mean, I've gotten up on stage and done demos of the dark web. I really have tried to teach myself what the fraudsters are doing to get smarter about it. But if you might recall, I did a town hall for the Insights Association last spring. And one of the stats I shared or one of the, the factoids I shared that really piqued people's interest was, you know, cyber fraud. If it was a country, it would be the third largest after the U.S. and China in terms of global damage and economic impact. I mean, just think about that. So we're not going to solve cyber fraud, Lenny. As great as you and I are <laughs> and, and veterans of this space, neither one of us can say that we're going to fix and solve cyber fraud, but we can definitely mitigate the risks by partnering together and communicating about it and putting in different layers, both technological layers as well as methodological layers, and take our power back. I think that's important. I couldn't agree more again. This is the one time I wish that we were on video because we could just see the, the nodding. But there's another factor here that I think the industry has to, to recognize. We are not the only game in town anymore. And that is a situation that is changing fairly rapidly. And I was thinking, I'm sure you remember years ago when LinkedIn dipped their toe in the research water, for sample. And then quickly said, yeah, you guys are nuts. No, sorry, we're not going to do this anymore. But as these major, and we'll call them publishers for lack of a better term, but I'm going to use that definition to also describe Amazon and Facebook and LinkedIn, you know, these major platforms, these hubs of traffic of audiences, Walmart, as they are developing and recognize the value of their own audiences and creating advertising networks within their businesses, as well as product networks, marketplaces within their businesses, the logical next step for them is to bring that in-house and offer it directly to their clients natively. And I know for a fact those conversations are happening right now. So all of those companies are looking very closely at acquiring these capabilities or and or partnering, and some have already ventured into partnering, to make a native capability in-house to do their own ad testing in their own audience that they control. 
in their own experience that they control their own product testing, you know, Shopify, you know, all of these, those companies. And we were scared of that when Google surveys first launched, but they were in a slightly different world. It wasn't their audience, right? It was the internet's audience. And they were always careful about that. You can't say the same about Amazon. It's Amazon's audience. Mm-hmm. So it's Facebook's audience. And I've long thought when they say we're going to do this ourselves, then we have a real problem overall because they'll fix the supply issue in a very different way than we can. And they have solutions in place around the fraud in a different way than we have as well. And I think we are rapidly approaching that. I, I will make a prediction that in this year, we will see one of those big companies, one of the big guys, acquire a capability within the research space, a platform, and launch it as an internal solution for clients directly that's going to take a big chunk of the market away from us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I could never blame a client for saying, okay, guys, we've talked about this for 20 years, right? This is not new. None of this is new. We reached the point where we knew we were always going to reach. It didn't take a rocket scientist to think through this. And you're, you're one fantastic example of that, right? Preach to the choir. We saw this coming. Uh, we didn't get out of the way. Now, you know, we may have a much bigger fight on our hands to try and solve this issue within our industry. We could be in the same situation as we were with social media, right? That ship sailed. We dismissed it and a whole other industry was built off of that. You know, they had nothing to do with the research space. Now we've kind of come along around, you know, more, but big data, you know, all those things, we have a legitimate shot at being significant players in those categories. We chose not to big businesses were built off of those things that had nothing to do with the inside space. Now we're seeing the opportunity for uh, where those big businesses may take insight functions entirely and do it because they can do arguably potentially a better job than we have. I don't mean it's not doom and gloom, guys, but I mean, I, this is what I do. I, I look at the industry. I, this is my job. And that's what I see. Yeah. So, so it's a very depressing notion. Like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, wah, really, wah. I, I think that we can do this. But it, so let me, <sighs> I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack. I mean, I don't, I don't think your, your prediction is far off. I think, you know, we are seeing big companies, big tech companies like that doing more and more research in-house. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons really that's helped to fuel our vision around the vision suite. We see that there are companies, large and small, that want to be very creative and have more autonomy and independence when it comes to the research process. And that might be because of quality issues that they might have experienced from a different provider in their in their past. It could be, you know, just a struggle of timelines. You know, when I first started at Harris, we we were doing well if we got a study, you know, design fielded and analysis done within, say, 10 to 12 weeks. We were like, yeah, go us. We're so fast. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like there's projects in and out same day, you know, quick pulse, very iterative research. It's very different. So I think, you know, to your point, yeah, there. This industry is so interesting to me. You know, I, I just think about the evolution that it's had and different topics that have come up through the years that have scared us all. You know, what does the future look like? And and I think 
I don't think this is this industry is going away by any stretch. I don't think it's as doom and gloom as as you suggest. I think it's probably going to be focused more on those companies and folks that don't get on board and really start to focus on this. I mean, the good news is we've been focused on it for a long time. We're known in the industry as a quality provider because of all the things that we do in a very proactive fashion. But I know there's a lot of people that have stuck their head in the sand when it comes to the topic of of quality, whether it's their margins are too lean to start with based on their acquisition methodologies, or they don't have the acumen in-house to to handle and deal with those types of situations or aren't investing from an R&D perspective adequately. There can be a whole host of reasons why companies can kind of get left behind in, in the wake of big moves and big announcements like what you're suggesting. And so I think there could be a lot of volatility Maybe, you know, providers that you've worked with for a long time will find it difficult to keep up. But I think it's important to be innovative, right? We want to do what our name says. We want to provide tools and access to clients out there that can be can be in, independent and autonomous and have more control and, and leverage the great quality tools that we have. But I don't think everyone is in that camp, Lenny. And so I do think that there'll be some, some bodies in the wake that get left behind. I do think that's that's important. But there's the thing with those different platforms and marketplaces that you just mentioned is, you know, they're interacting with their user base day in and day out. So, you know, 25 minute long surveys are not going to cut it in those ecosystems. They're going to have to change their strategy and how they collect insights. That's, I think, the biggest tension point. And that, I think, cuffs them in some ways because the appetite for data is insatiable. There's so many questions that businesses are trying to answer nowadays. And I don't mean that that's going to continue their dependence on the traditional insight space, but I do think that there is that challenge. You know, if I'm Facebook, I'm, I'm not going to present a 25-minute survey to my users. And, and what if I want to to track what my competitors are doing or what my non-users are doing. I'm still having to go outside. What if I want to do an unbranded survey, you know, to, to eliminate that concern around bias? There's a lot of implications on why going to the outside and leaning on the insight space and our, our expertise will, in my mind, always be a need. But in terms of share of wallet, Lenny, I think there's going to be some really interesting times ahead. I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think there are some companies that are going to find it very difficult to keep up. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, to be clear, I wasn't trying to be doom and gloom. I was, but I was <laughs> trying to get to that point that the competitive landscape is changing rapidly. And in specific scenarios, if you're product testing within the largest online digital marketplace in the world, that's a pretty damn good thing to do, right? So if you get your product test concept right through Amazon, you're probably going to be right on every other platform, right? So there's some very specific use cases that happen to be very high areas of spend in the industry that we may have a real fight on our hands to go with. And we can't blame clients for going with those solutions if they can deliver higher quality. And we know mm-hmm. they could. And yes, they will have to change a lot as well. You and I can go on for a really long time, Lisa. I want to be conscious of time. You said it, the most interesting part of the insights industry is that it is always interesting. <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of change. And and like you, I mean, I've spent, this is my 22nd year in the industry. I, I love it. I can't imagine doing anything different. And I have nothing but incredible respect for you and, and other folks that have been 
driving the change and, and excitement for the future. But it's going to change. And we have to change, continue to change along with it. And this is a fundamental issue, I think, that that we have to make sure. And I'm glad that you're out there on the front lines, you know, banging away on this topic and in trying to develop solutions to make it better. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Lenny, for having me on the show. I really appreciate you giving me the platform to give listeners a, an update on on what I've been up to and what the team here at Innovate's been up to. And, and I'm always happy to talk shop with you and, and appreciate everything you do for our industry. You know, uh, giving folks like me a voice is so important because the first step in solving any problem or at least alleviating a problem is talking about it. I feel like I've been on an island for a long time. So I'm glad that the rest of the industry is starting to wake up a bit more on this topic. And I'm excited to engage further on it. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. Last, uh, last thing, we always want to end with a little more personal note. So what's inspiring you lately? Not necessarily business-wise, just, you know, what's... What are you really interested in right now that's just making you go, oh, I love this? Oh, well, I mean, I love everything about our industry. I think it's totally addictive. <laughs> I think I'm addicted to insights. And <laughs> sound like such a nerd, but it's true. I live and breathe this stuff. You know, I took a few days off last week. I went to Ireland to visit my family over there. I have my husband's from Dublin originally. And so we got to spend some time. It was the first time I've taken a couple of days off since I think last July. I had a really busy Q4 for obvious reasons, but you know, it was just really nice to take a few days and have some pause and and really reflect on how truly blessed I am. I mean, professionally I've had an incredible year on so many levels, but what makes me get up in the morning and put a foot in front of the other is really my kids and my husband. I mean, my family it just really inspire me. It's everything I do, I do it for them. And I'm just so inspired by by a lot of people in our space. Like our industry has this knack for attracting just really cool human beings. And I can say that wholeheartedly. There's just so many wonderful people in our industry. So I'm really looking forward to hitting up IEX this spring. I will be there with bells on. So I'll look forward to, to seeing you in person, Lenny. And just getting back out there, I, I miss people. I'm such a, an extrovert, such a people person. And I've taken a few business trips in the last about six months, but I need more. I need to get out there. I might got the travel bug. So I'm, I'm ready to, to get out and see people and be inspired by their stories and their journeys. Very cool. I am too. This will be the first IX that I've been to in four years for a variety of reasons. That, and obviously the pandemic loss too, but the, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't wait. Um, so can't wait to see you and give you a big hug, Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be great. All right. Where can our listeners find you? What's the best way? Yes. Well, feel free to reach out to me. My email address is lisa at innovatemr.com or navigate over to our website, same domain, innovatemr.com. And uh, you can learn more about us and our our team and, and what we offer to the industry. But thank you again, Lenny, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Always great to catch up with you. Thank you for coming. It was a real joy. So thanks. And I'll see you in Austin. All right. See you then. All right. Thanks, audience. Tune in again soon for the next edition of the Green Book Podcast. That's it for now. Bye-bye. Join Green Book for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. 
Whether you're in Asia Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.